0: Welcome to The Lamb and the Scroll, where we unpack scripture using the rich tradition of the church. I'm your host, John Brayer, and in this episode, we'll be talking about Stairway to Heaven, Fight Night, and Jacob. In this episode, I'll be breaking down two stories that relate to Jacob that we find in the book of Genesis. But before that, perhaps a quick recap of some of the major characters, uh, at least in recent chapters of Genesis. First patriarch is Abraham. He's called by God to go and move to a new land that he will be shown. He's promised many blessings. And as part of this, the Abrahamic covenant comes into formation. In this covenant, he's promised a land and a nation, a kingship, and a great name for his family, and a blessing for all nations from his line. He marries Sarah, and they together have a child named Isaac that carries on the family name. Isaac marries Rebekah. They have two children, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's actually the younger child, but through a series of interesting deception and trickery and uh, a trade, he ends up, Jacob, with the blessing and the birthright that was due to the older brother to Esau. And so that brings us to this episode, where we will be exploring two stories as they relate to Jacob's role as patriarch. He is an unexpected patriarch because he is a younger brother, so that's part of what we'll be exploring today. But for now, back to the (laughs) storyline. The first of the two stories that we'll be exploring together in this episode is found in Genesis chapter 28. I'll give you a moment to read the story so you can find it in Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 15. All right, some basic background to this story. Jacob has just received the blessing of his father. He had previously received the birthright. He had traded his brother Esau uh, in order to receive the birthright. So Jacob, the younger brother was not supposed to receive either of these. But now he's going to get the inheritance from his father. He is also going to carry on the family's name with the blessing of his father. He's achieved this blessing with a little bit of trickery. Essentially, he's worked with his mother, Rebekah, to deceive his father, Isaac, into giving him the blessing instead of Esau. And so at this point of the story, the reader is wondering about whether or not Jacob can really carry on the family line. Because it's really important in this case that we know that the family line is carried out properly. Because remember, it's this family line that's going to carry the Abrahamic covenant to fulfillment. And for that to take place, there has to be a family line and it seems to uh, there seems to be muddy waters at this point. And so this story that we find in Genesis chapter 28, I think can correctly be read as an affirmation by God that Jacob is going to be the one through whom the covenant Uh, will be fulfilled. It's through his line. He is the next patriarch in line. That there hasn't been a mistake, there hasn't been a complete destruction of God's plans. No. The plan will continue to be fulfilled. Uh, God will work through Jacob. And so in this story we have Jacob uh, falling asleep and dreaming about this stairway that connects heaven to earth. We see these angels going up and down. it. And there are three main parts of God's language to Jacob that I want to draw to your attention. So first of all, In verse 13, God begins by stating his identity. He says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. What he's telling Jacob here is, yes, this is the same God of your father, the same God of your grandfather. Two, he goes through a series of promises. He first, in verse 13, notes that the land on which you are lying will be given to you, Jacob, and your descendants. Two, in verse 14, God promises that the descendants of Jacob will be like the dust of the earth and that they will spread out over all of the earth. And three, at the end of verse 14, we hear this promise that in you and your descendants, all families all over the earth will find blessing. Now, if we're reading this carefully, we should recognize that these are the same promises from the covenant with Abraham just a few chapters ago. And so what's happening here is that this covenant is being reiterated. God is telling Jacob that he will work through him. And he concludes in verse 15 with a very clear statement that, yes, it is through Jacob that this covenant will be fulfilled. God says, I am with you and will protect you wherever you go. And he goes on from here. But the focus is on you, Jacob. And so God is affirming, yes, yes, you are the one through whom this covenant will be uh, pursued. This covenant will continue the set of promises that God made, they're not going away. Sure, did Jacob get uh, to this place as patriarch through a an unconventional route? Of course he did. And as a result, I think it's very easy to see Jacob as an example of God choosing the unexpected. He's the younger son. He deceives his way into the blessing. He doesn't have the outgoing big personality of his brother, the hunting kind of masculine figure. He doesn't have that. But nonetheless, God has affirmed here in Genesis 28 that he will continue working through Jacob. And that's a great reminder to us. As we read this story, we find that Jacob is not perfect. He's not blameless. But nonetheless, God works through him. And the reminder to us as we step back from this specific story is that God works through all of us. No matter our background, no matter where we've come from, he wants to make us holy and part of his plan. Now at this point of the episode, I'm going to fast forward a little bit through the story of Jacob just for the sake of time, but there's definitely some irony here that the, uh, the author is trying to get us to notice. The one who deceived his way into the blessing is then later deceived by his uncle, and his family line quickly gets very confusing and complicated. So we see Jacob's family line spreading out pretty quickly. Uh, eventually he'll have um, 12 sons and one daughter, but for this episode, I won't dig in too much to that story. Instead, I want to fast forward a little bit to Genesis chapter 32 after this family has been uh, put into motion, after uh, Jacob has started having children. And so I'd like to give you a moment to pause and read part of Genesis 32. So you can read Genesis chapter 32, verses 23 through 31. All right, here we go. It's time for fight night. In one corner, we've got Jacob, the patriarch. In the other corner, we have a person or an individual only identified as a man. So his identity is a little bit unclear. However, the same term is used many chapters earlier in Genesis 18 to describe the visitors to Abraham and Sarah who deliver the news that they will be bearing a child, that Sarah will be bearing a child. And so it's fair to assume that this is some sort of divine presence, whether it's through an angel, through someone, whether it's God, it is somehow a representation of the divine. It's a mysterious figure in this corner who's going to be fighting Jacob. So the big question is, who wins this, uh, this fight, this wrestling match? At first glance, it appears that Jacob is victorious. As you read through the story, the man realizes that he cannot prevail over Jacob. And he even said so in verse 29. And so at first glance, it seems as though Jacob has prevailed and has won this fight. But there's a little bit more. If you read verse 28, in verse 28, the man, when he's essentially been pinned, asks Jacob what his name is. And Jacob says, Jacob. This particular verse is actually key to understanding uh, the outcome of this wrestling match. And we'll turn to Pope Benedict XVI, who in 2011 addressed this question of what's going on in this story. And so I'll read a direct quote from him starting here. In fact, knowing someone's name implies a kind of power over that person because in the biblical mentality, the name contains the most profound reality of the individual. It reveals the person's secret and destiny. Knowing one's name, therefore, means knowing the truth about the other person, and this allows one to dominate him. When, therefore, in answer to the unknown person's request, Jacob discloses his own name, he is placing himself in the hands of his opponent. It is a form of surrender, a total handing over of self to the other. And so the point Pope Benedict XVI is making is that by reconstituting Jacob's identity, even though it seems that Jacob has won the physical portion of this fight, God has the final say because he's changing Jacob's name. In verse 29, he says, You shall no longer be named Jacob, but Israel. By changing Jacob's name and reconstituting his identity, God is demonstrating his power in this situation. God is demonstrating that he has the final say. And here this new name Israel means one who wrestles with God. This is the name that the whole nation will take on. All 12 sons of Israel, these tribes that will form um, under the name of Israel, all come back to this story of wrestling with God. And as we trace this story forward, we will see that over and over and over again, the people will wrestle with God spiritually. They will struggle to be in right relationship with God. And so now we turn back to Benedict XVI, who was interested in not only just reading this story literally, but considering what it might mean for our prayer lives. And so we had some interesting comments as we pushed this story a little bit farther beyond just the context of Jacob and ask what it might communicate to us. We turn back to Benedict XVI, who says, quote, Prayer requires trust, nearness, almost a hand to hand contact that is symbolic not of a God who is an enemy, but a Lord of blessing who always remains mysterious, who seems beyond reach. And later the quote continues If the object of one's desire is a relationship with God, his blessing and love, then the struggle cannot fail but ends in that self-giving to God. And so Benedict XVI reflects on this story and shows that even though it appears that physically Jacob has dominated this wrestling match, he still submits to the will of God. And that's what our prayer is all about, is submitting to God's will. Turning to God, wrestling with him, asking these questions of why are these things happening to me, but then nonetheless submitting to God's will for us. And so as we look back at Jacob's story, he is certainly not a perfect character. He deceives, his family has struggles, but nonetheless he pursues God's will. He submits to God's will, as we saw here in this story in Genesis 32. And so as we look forward to the Israelites and to this nation that will begin to form, we keep this name in mind, the name Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. The Israelites will consistently struggle to remain in right relationship with God. But that's all the time we have for today, so thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.